This is episode number 463 with Matt Dancho, founder and CEO of Business Science. Welcome to the Super Data Science Podcast. My name is John Crone, a chief data scientist and best-selling author on deep learning. Each week we bring you inspiring people and ideas to help you build a successful career in data science. Thanks for being here today. And now let's make the complex simple. Welcome back to the Super Data Science Podcast. I'm your host, John Crone, and there's an absolute ton to be learned from Matt Dancho in this episode on time series analysis. Matt's the founder and CEO of Business Science, an applied data science education company. That is not, however, our focus this episode. Instead, we focus on Matt's work as the lead developer of the Model Time open source ecosystem for time series analysis. This episode will largely be of interest to hands-on data scientists or other technical folks who are keen to learn about the -the state-of-the-art tools and techniques for handling time series data, such as financial data or any quantitative information that varies over time. Specifically, we cover time series data pre-processing, tidy time series objects, and the most powerful models for time series forecasting, including deep recurrent neural networks, ensemble models, automated machine learning, and resampled backtests. Before we dig into the episode, I have a quick announcement that starting with episode 465 next week, we will begin releasing guest episodes on Tuesday mornings, New York time. Historically, we've released on Wednesday evenings, but by releasing 36 hours earlier, we'll be giving you two more morning commutes in your week to enjoy the episode. I can't imagine any downsides to this change, but I didn't want to catch you off guard when it happens. All right, let's get to Matt. Matt, welcome to the program. It is an honor to have you on. How's it going in your part of the world? Oh, it's going well. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it, John. Uh, Where are you calling in from today? Uh, Sunny State College, Pennsylvania. It's finally starting to warm up. So if you're on the East Coast, uh, like near New York, about like four hours away from New York City. So Nice. Four hours south, I guess? Uh, It's almost directly west. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. You just take 80, yeah. 80 uh, to the west. Pennsylvania kind of wraps around New York and New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Nice. Well, I haven't been there, but I'm sure it's lovely. And we are enjoying it starting to warm up here. So we're filming right at the end of March. And we're starting to get some nice sunny days getting shorts out. It's nice. Yep. I've got my shorts on right now. I've been uh, <laughs> I went for a walk today. I'm I'm feeling good. Great. Um, so you've been on the episode twice before, but it's been a while. So I looked it up. You're on episode 109 in November 2017, and then 165, not long thereafter, in June 2018. And I think it's safe to say that a lot has evolved since then, and I can't wait to fill in our listeners on it. We're delighted to have you back. And given your specialization in creating time series libraries for R. I think we should have an episode dedicated to the wondrous aspects of time series analysis. Absolutely. And it's definitely something that's so helpful for companies. 
Um, you know, I, I used to do it all the time for my last company. And, uh, you know, it's something that I, I really want to be able to help other data scientists be able to learn how to do it for their companies. Cause it, it literally, it, it affects revenue. It affects every part of the business. If you can forecast better, you're going to be in high demand. So. Nice. Tell us how you got into developing time series libraries for R. So there's been kind of a, probably the past like year and a half. Um, I've been developing a series of time series packages that is forming a, uh, a small ecosystem. It's kind of like a, a small army of, of, of uh, our packages. And um, really the story behind it is uh, I was actually um, developing a course uh, January of last year and I almost quit several times it was a time series course because I was constantly, I was trying to uh, use all the existing system um, in, in R and I was just having a heck of a time putting it together. I was number one, I was running thousands and thousands of lines of code um, to be able to do simple things like to be able to visualize time series, to be able to clean the data, to be able to you know come up with like engineered features I was constantly having to go through and back and forth through different systems. Like one's called like XTS one's called, um, like the, yeah, the, the tidy version. It's oh. been a while since I've been proficient in R, but I remember XTS, the tidy verse was just starting to come along in kind of near the end of when I was using R a lot. Um, the Tidyverse has helped out a ton, and that's actually the system that I that I uh, centralized on. So I, you know, I said, "All right." So the problem I was running into: you got fifteen different time series packages that do different things. One does like anomalies. One does, you know, uh, forecasting. One does sliding calculations. You know, th those types of things. They they are all developed by like each you know, different people. So these people aren't talking to each other. They aren't standardizing on, you know, Hey, here's how you, you, you know, this function should operate this way. And, and then you can pipe it right into this fun. No, there's none of that. So it, it ends up driving me nuts to be honest. <laughs> like literally I'm trying to put together a, this awesome course on teaching people how to do all, you know, all the stuff that, you know, I I've been researching and uh, yeah, it wasn't going well. <laughs> so that was the start of the, the ecosystem. Um, and, and I guess for the sake of our listeners, uh, we, we should also mention that you create a lot of courses. So, I mean, that's how you're making a living these days, right? You yes. run the business science platform. Yes. Yeah. So uh, I'm the founder and CEO of business science. Um, to give you a little bit of background, I've been um, developing courses over the course of about three or four years now. Uh, I have about 2000 students. And, um, I focus on, you know, basically taking somebody who, who knows nothing about data science or has very limited experience with data science and getting them, their careers accelerated as fast as possible by learning the most, you know, in-demand technologies like time series being one of them, but also how to, how to make web applications, um, how to use AWS, how to, how to do like all the things that like no one ever teaches data scientists how to do. The web applications, I guess, would be R Shiny. Yeah, Shiny, Shiny web apps. I have two courses on that: an in intro one, and then a um, like a developer slash advanced one, um, and then also the 
the whole consulting, like the, how do you take a, a organization, integrate data science into it? How do you, you know, what, what frameworks do you use? How do you go from like A to B? Um, and then, you know, build out a kind of like a large scale project with them. So I, I teach all of that stuff. It's all based on my real experience too. Um, so like the time series stuff, uh, it's all based on things I'm either actually doing at my current company, which is business science or at previous companies or engagements that I've had, you know, obviously nothing proprietary, you know, no proprietary data or anything, <laughs> but the techniques are, are all solid. They're all the ones yeah. that I, you know, I've been using for, you know, past uh, seven or eight years now. So, yeah, so I guess, so Business science then also does some consulting on top of the teaching. We uh, not not really. We used to do consulting. Actually, business science used to be a consulting company for like the yeah. very very first beginnings. Um, but after about six months to a year, we quickly transitioned into education, and um, that was just basically I was seeing a ton of um, you know every, every company that I was working with. It was all like an education problem. They all had you know competent right. people that just didn't know how to apply data science to business. And that's really where I got the idea. All right, this is the real problem. This is the real market. This is what I need to be doing is helping to educate the future workforce. So that's how I got into it. Yeah, sounds hugely valuable. And we are, I promise to you, listener, we're going to dig into time series analysis to an incredible amount of depth in a moment. But before we do that, I want to talk about our shiny for a second again, because I don't think we have bigged it up enough yet. Rshiny is cool. So it, it, it allows you to very easily build your own web applications around some kind of, yeah, I mean, I don't know why, we, why you would use it if there wasn't some kind of data involved. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that's kind of like the main use case. You wouldn't make it, uh, I don't know, create a, uh, a website for selling something, but it's for making web apps that have something to do with data. So you can imagine the same kinds of things you might make, uh, you might use Tableau for, but it allows you to have way more customizability. You have a huge amount of control over the way that you're storing data in the backend, how you're calling it up, how you're visualizing it, and it all is rendered in HTML, and you can port it over to a server in like a couple lines of code, right? Right. Yeah, our Studio Connect really makes it super easy now. Um, it's just push button publishing of apps. Uh, so, the, um, you know, our, our shiny, that's honestly the first gigs that I got as a data science consultant, they were all, they weren't really even data science. You know, I wasn't doing a whole lot of machine learning. It was just people who wanted a way to take the data that they had and put it into, you know, some sort of application that, you know, didn't involve Excel and them having to open up a file, just, you know, being able to pull it up on their, on their, uh, through their their web browser or Chrome. So fast forward now though, uh, Shiny, the ecosystem has evolved so much. It's insane. Um, And, you know, it's just so so powerful. Um, In fact, I've I've, uh, done a lot with integrating time series into Shiny apps. Uh, You know, that's that's one of the things I built this. I built this app called, I I call it Nostradamus. but it's basically an automatic forecasting app that uses uh, some of the time series packages that we'll talk about model time, time TK under the hood, but in a user friendly way where, you know, somebody just clicks one button run builds like 28 or 30 plus models, ensembles them together. 
makes the forecast, makes visualizations so people understand what's going on. And, uh, and it does it pretty quick. So our shiny Nostradamus. Yeah. (laughs) Eliminating unnecessary distractions is one of the central principles of my lifestyle. As such, I only subscribe to a handful of email newsletters, those that provide a massive signal to noise ratio. One of the very few that meet my strict criterion is the Data Science Insider. If you weren't aware of it already, the Data Science Insider is a 100% free newsletter that the Super Data Science team creates and sends out every Friday. We pour over all of the news and identify the most important breakthroughs in the fields of data science, machine learning, and artificial intelligence. The top five, simply five news items. The top five items are handpicked, the items that we're confident will be most relevant to your personal and professional growth. Each of the five articles is summarized into a standardized, easy to read format, and then packed gently into a single email. This means that you don't have to go and read the whole article, you can read our summary and be up to speed on the latest and greatest data innovations in no time at all. That said, if any items do particularly tickle your fancy, then you can click through and read the full article. This is what I do. I skim the Data Science Insider newsletter every week. Those items that are relevant to me, I read the summary in full. And if that signals to me that I should be digging into the full original piece, for example, to pour over figures, equations, code, or experimental methodology, I click through and dig deep. So, if you'd like to get the best signal-to-noise ratio out there in data science, machine learning, and AI news, subscribe to the Data Science Insider, which is completely free and no strings attached, at superdatascience.com DSI. That's superdatascience.com DSI. And now, let's return to our amazing episode. All right, so that's a great segue. So we can go from Nostradamus, your R Shiny app for making forecasts, um, to talk about the underlying time series models. You mentioned them there briefly. Um, there are one, two, three, four, five, six that we're going to talk about in turn. The two big ones that we need to talk about up front are time TK and model time. So time TK allows you to prepare data for time series analysis. And then model time is for applying machine learning on those time series data once they're properly formatted. So quickly trying out models. So tell us about why you created these libraries. And (laughs) I mean, I've now pretty much said everything that I know about time TK and model time. (laughs) So please fill us in with more detail on why they're so valuable. Yeah. So, so let me, let me start with, uh, so time TK is, is where, um, you do like the data wrangling and the visualization. Um, the cool things just at a high level, uh, if I had to, if I wanted to pitch you on why you should use time TK versus whatever else you're using, uh, one line of code, it pretty much does everything. So if you want to plot something, uh, you just use like plot time series and you, and then we centralize on the data frame. So if you're comfortable with the tidyverse, uh, all you do is you take your data frame, you pipe it into plot time series, and it spits out a either an interactive visualization if you select interactive, or if you turn interactive to false, it produces a ggplot, a static plot. Um, yeah. so, so either a plotly or a ggplot object. Um, that's the plotting utilities. There's probably six or seven plotting utilities, everything from 
anomaly detection to seasonalities, you know, all the, all the normal stuff, uh, ACF. Um, so you have autocorrelation and those sorts mm-hmm. of things. Um, that's just the plotting though. Uh, then you have data wrangling. So there's all these data, uh, these dplyr functions. So dplyr, that library has a function called summarize. You know, you use it often like group by. And then yeah, summarize. I'm familiar with it. Yeah. Okay. Well, then you're immediately familiar with time TK then because instead of group by <laughs> and summarize, it's group by and summarize by time. And you just tell it, you know, what element, you know, if you want to summarize it weekly or daily, and it automatically does all that stuff for you. So you don't have to, it, it speeds you up. It's a product, it's a productivity booster, right? Um, and then it has a lot of stuff for as you take your data science through the workflow. So you visualized it, you've wrangled it a little bit. Then you're getting it to a point where you want to do some forecasts. So there's all sorts of, um, they're called pre-processing recipes. Um, so this recipes thing uh, is a is a big package that's being developed by the people at our studio. Uh, mm-hmm. They call it the tidy models ecosystem. So recipes is a package in that in that ecosystem where you, where you do pre-processing recipes. And I have a bunch of time series pre-processing recipes. Um, the biggest one is the step time series signature. It's got a funky name to it, but that is the number one function you need to learn if you're doing getting ready to do some uh, forecasting and feature engineering. And it creates like 30 time series features out of your, your timestamp. So things like you know day of the week, month of the year, it just automatically creates all that stuff for you. And then you can normally just run like your your model right off of it. Um, big big productivity booster. Nice. Let's give a a little bit of context on some of the items that you've mentioned. So R Studio, huge commercial player in the R space, probably the biggest. They um, have created an IDE, uh, so um, a development environment for uh, for building and running R models, including R Shiny web apps. And it all functions very nicely. That's available for free. And I think they, I guess they monetize by providing support, you know, commercial support if you need it, helping you get things up on servers, that kind of thing. Yeah. So, so, um, our, our studio they're and they're actually getting pretty big into Python now too, to be honest. And I know that's probably just the, the data science market tends to be very heavily, you know, a lot, a lot more typically Python users and R users. But I will tell you this: um, they they haven't they have noticed that, and they're kind of expanding the support. But their big thing is the R Studio IDE integrated development environment. That's you know where I learned to do data science, and mm-hmm. it's very nice, very user friendly. Um, it's probably the best data science IDE out there. And I've tried them all: Jupyter Notebooks, Labs, um, VS Code. I'm, I'm creating a Python course right now uh, with VS Code. Uh, you know, not, I mean, our studios just makes things so easy. Uh, they, they do. Um, big commercial player. They also spend probably a, a good bit of their resources on developing open source. So they are with, without them, our, exactly. our probably wouldn't exist. It would be all Python, uh, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, so but Hadley Wickham, Hadley Wickham works there. Yeah, works yeah, for our he was studio. A guest on the Super Data Science Podcast. Oh, you guys had Hadley. All right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hadley's um, a he's a personal friend of mine. Um, 
you know, just small story about him, uh, back when I was first getting like starting to attend some conferences back, you know, when I first started business science, uh, he actually reached out to me and, and we had lunch, you know, at one of the conferences. And I mean, I couldn't believe I was star starstruck the whole time because this guy, like literally he's the, the, the person who developed dplyr, the, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, and he also developed ggplot too. So yeah, which are, We'd mentioned both of those, and so maybe we should talk about them quickly. So yep. dplyr allows you to pipe together a series of functions, like if you're familiar with piping things together in a Unix terminal, it allows data processing to be so easy and clean and intuitive in a way that prior to dplyr, you had to have either separate lines for each uh, step in the process or really ugly um, nested parentheses yes. of functions. Yeah. And so deep. Yeah. Dplyr beautiful for that. And ggplot, uh, gg is a grammar of graphics. And so it's based on a book uh, called grammar of graphics. And so Hadley Wickham used that book as the inspiration for coming up with a really comprehensive way of plotting. Ggplot. Yes. Yeah. And, and it's really those two packages alone. Um, they're, they're the most, they're two of the most, they're, they're definitely in the top 10 most downloaded packages, probably the top three or five, um, which shows you how popular they are, but really it's just a, a new wave of, um, doing data science. He, he basically created a structure that makes it, uh, almost like writing a book, like writing a paragraph of text, you know, Hey, Start with my data, group it on this particular category, select these columns, uh, summarize this part of that data. And so it's it's all like it's words. It's not like you, you don't feel like you're coding. You feel like you're you know, you're writing down something. Um, and then the, the ggplot syntax, he kind of, uh, you know, like you said, extended the grammar of graphics. But that um, it's you know, the way I learned to plot, um, you know, ggplot2, create a, a, a ggplot, add a, you know, scatter plot or add a, a, a smoother to it and um, type for time series. I mean, it's, it's, it's wonderful. So. Nice. So Hadley Wickham, inventor of these brilliant R packages. Uh, he invites you out to lunch at a conference and then. Yeah. yeah. And that, and I mean, this is a guy that, uh, He's basically, you know, the face of R, right? Um, the the programming mm -hmm. language that I have grown to love. Um, he invites me out to lunch. We have a great conversation. I got to learn a lot more. But he he really just wanted to, you know, learn about what I was doing. And I just couldn't believe that somebody who's so prolific, you know, is is willing to take time out of his day to sit down with me. You know, little old me, you know, who made you know one one small R package. Um, that he saw and that he knew about, um, that package is called tidy quant. That was my fi mm -hmm. first finding as a financial package. Um, mm -hmm. that package has actually now been downloaded, I think around 600,000 times, 700,000 times. So it's, wow. it's, it's grown too, but, um, but it, what did it do? We're not going to stay on it's it a, too much, but it, it's kind of related to time series, but it's more for financial analysis. It integrates mm -hmm. some of the, um, stuff that's out there, like the XTS, the, the, uh, quant mod. It, it makes it tidy. So it ports that functionality over to the tidyverse. Yeah. yeah. I guess we haven't mentioned this yet. For people that aren't aware of the tidyverse, the whole point of it, <laughs> it's a collection of packages that makes data tidy. Yes. Uh, 
So it's a specific format makes it easy to read, uh, makes it easy to work with with other packages from the tidyverse. Yes, yeah, it's a whole <laughs> ecosystem, and it's a, and it's a movement too. I mean, it's uh, really like people you're either Basar or you're tidyverse, and you know I'm I'm more tidyverse because that's just kind of how I how I learned. Uh, Dplyr came out right when I was starting to learn R, and that package kind of it changed me. It changed me as a the, w- the whole way I thought about data. It, you know, I was just like, yes, this is how data is meant to be. You yeah. know, cleaned. I'm, and <laughs> I'm so old that when I learned R, none of these tidy things existed. But I can confidently say, having made the switch, that life is way better in the tidyverse than outside of it. So yes. You don't have to convince me. All right. So anyway, Hadley Wickham invites you to launch on the basis of your tidy quant package. And, you know, I guess that's the story. And that's pretty much it. I mean, (laughs) at the end of the day, you know, he's, he's a, he's a very popular guy. He's somebody who, you know, I looked up to and I still look up to, uh, and he's, he's just willing to take his time out of his day just to learn, you know, take 30, 45 minutes and learn about what I'm doing and, and why I'm doing it. And that really, I think, you know, it's that sense of community. You know, if you look at the broader R community, you know, that's, that's kind of like a representation of, 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 you know, what I love about it is that people are so willing to help you. They're, they're so so willing to, you know, all you got to do is reach out. He reached out to me through Twitter, said, you know, Hey, what are you doing? Uh, DM me. Uh, so I, I, I messaged him and said, you know, holy cow, you're Hadley Wickham. Thanks for reaching out. You know? And he, and he says, you know, hey, yeah, let's 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 do Holy one. Oh, you're Hadley Wickham. I don't know if you knew. <laughs> yeah. can't, I can't believe it. You know, uh, so I was, I I got I got pretty excited. I was actually out in San Francisco with, with uh, getting ready for the event, and uh, I was with some of my buddies, and I was like, you know, I, I was actually at a pub, and uh, I pretty much screamed. I'm like, "Holy crap!" You know, like. My my buddy uh, or my, my my buddies, you gotta get over here. Uh, check check out this, and they're like, "Who, who the heck is this guy?" Like, they're <laughs> they're not data scientists, so they don't know. Yeah, but uh, I understand that would be a big deal. Um, Hadley Wickham, if you're listening, if you ever want to reach out to me, I will scream uh, <laughs> with delight. So just there you go. We've actually uh, Hadley Wickham. I've seen him a few times. I saw him at a conference, it was the American Statistical Association, their main statistical conference, like 80,000 people go or something crazy. Oh, it was at this oh, huge convention center huge. in Chicago. Yep. Um, it's And he was at an R-Studio booth and I was presenting a poster not too far away. And I saw him that he was standing at the R-Studio booth and we made eye contact and I got too shy and I was just like walking <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> well, he's very friendly. He's he, and he's always willing to oh, you know, sure. chat, chat some more. So, but I was just like, you know, what am I going to say to a celebrity like that? You know, it's like, yeah, just uh, and uh, the other time he came and he spoke at a meetup in New York, um, the Open Statistical Programming Meetup, and it was amazing. I can highly recommend if you have the opportunity to see Hadley Wickham talk in person or if you. Uh, you know, even if you just want to look at some talks online, really great talk, amazing pacing, lots of interactivity with the audience, you know, in terms of looking up to people in so many ways, productivity is a R package developer, software developer in general, 
but also his presenting skills. I mean, what can't he do? Yes. Yeah. He, what always struck me is he just has a clear vision of like what the future should look like for, you know, for R and whether or not, you know, he, he truly knows it. It's like a lot of that stuff seems to come to fruition and it's crazy. I mean, he's a, he's a visionary. So, all right. But that, <laughs> all right. Yeah. All right. We, 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 we got to get back to time series analysis. <laughs> so um, anyway, so I guess we were talking about time TK. What does time TK stand for? What does the TK stand for? It's toolkit. So time series uh, toolkit. Yeah. And, and I like to keep my, uh, my, my R packages, their names pretty short or pretty, you know, pretty obvious. So included the time, you know, so you get the, get the sense of what it's, it, it's used for. And then TK, you know, to give it kind of the tool, <laughs> the toolkit. So nice. it's, okay. just like, and we, yeah. Oh, I was just gonna Go say, ahead. just like D pliers is like pliers. It's like, data pliers this is like time series toolkit nice and we've already talked about what it does a bit so it allows us to prepare data for time series analysis but also lots of other cool things visualization visualization which could be interactive or not um in plotly or ggplot ggplot it would yeah. be non-interactive data wrangling and also pre-processing recipes that's where we got to and then i completely sidetracked us with our studio and hadley wickham and all that but where you were probably wanting to go was to then talk about model time, which once you have your data prepared in time TK, you can then put it into model time and actually apply machine learning on the time series data. Yeah. So, so the fundamental principle around model time, and um, I spent about a year or so kind of developing the framework for it. Um, and, the, and the reason was, is because as I was going through my course, I was doing a ton of research and the um, and what I was finding is that the methods that were being used uh, to win some of these Kaggle competitions um, were often not what was being taught in academia, or and it was certainly not what was being um, is, was necessarily available um, through some of the, the the forecasting frameworks that I was uh, that were already developed in R. So. What ends up happening is is that those those forecasting competitions that I was reviewing, many of them on Kaggle um, and whatnot, they they all developed around these problems that are pretty similar to what bi businesses are now facing, which is they've got a, a big time series data set, um, and this could be like you know uh, anything with a timestamp in it, but you've got lots of products, you've got lots of customers, you've got you know just tons of tons and tons of data. And the problem is, is that, you know, everyone assumes just you've got a univariate data set and you're just going to do an ARIMA on it. Well, that doesn't solve this problem that businesses are facing where they've got thousands and thousands of customers or products. There's a scalability piece. And um, so I did a, a ton of research and I found that like Kaggle competitions were the closest thing out there. And what was winning them was really two different me methodologies. First one uh, was related to machine learning. So um, basically utilizing machine learning algorithms to process not just one model for each kind of you know product, but rather process all the products together and then develop a forecast you know, based on um, all of the products at once. So you have one model for many time series. That's what I, I set out to do with model time was to come up with a framework that made it easier to go from this 
machine learning side of, of forecasting and integrate that into a, a framework that allowed, allowed us to visualize, to walk us through kind of a best-in-class workflow where you you know, actually test on out of sample data. You know, a lot of these, like the, um, a lot of these uh, packages that were written in R kind of use, utilize these um, in-sample metrics. And to me, that's just like, that's not how it's done. That's not how you really, you know, you measure and test and get a true confidence about your forecast. You got to test on out of sample data and you got to kind of walk through a, a solid, well, I, I call it best in, best practices. I, I guess that's the right word for it. But basically, a structured approach where you should test these models. Um, where model time came in was, you know, I could develop one, you know, algorithm or whatever. But really, the the strategies that were winning these competitions weren't just doing one algorithm. It was doing a bunch of different algorithms and just experimenting and rapidly trying to figure out, you know, which algorithms they should include. And which they shouldn't include, which should right. promise. And then the idea hit me. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is this is what we need in R is a is a straightforward framework where it doesn't take a whole lot of code in order to be able to kind of run through all these different algorithms. And then I started getting ideas for like adding the out al the algorithms together, ensembling, because uh, that was en ended up being as I was doing more and more research, that was like a a, a winning strategy. For sure. And so on. So that's what model time came to be. So it's really just a forecasting framework for enabling us to do machine learning models. Also, it does ARIMA and, and profit, some of those other types of models. But like, what is, uh, it, we should, for the audience, uh, ARIMA, A R I M A, right? What does yes. that stand for? Yeah, it's, it's auto regressive integrated moving average. And it's basically kind of like, um, Think of it like a linear regression, but that uses only lags of your um, of your time series. So that's that's how that algorithm works. The problem with that is when you bundle it in a um, uh, a forecasting software, the uh, it becomes a univariate analysis because it's got a time dependency, and you can't you can't scale that up. Um, but uh, model time 050, which was just released yesterday uh, on Cran, mm. includes a recursive function that does auto regression, and it allows us to do basically the same technique that Arima does, but you can use any different algorithm. So you can use XGBoost, cool. you can use uh, GLM Net, which is an elastic net. You can use anything. Yeah. It's it's awesome. So. Yeah, a, cool. lot, a lot, a lot of best-in-class techniques. A lot of um, things that are built based on what the needs are and the demands are nowadays, and you know how 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 forecasting is done. Um, the other piece of it is uh, so we talked about machine learning. Deep learning is the other one from competitions. Mm -hmm. Deep, deep learning is a big um, a, a big deal. So mostly in business data, deep learning hasn't really made an impact. Time series is the one area, though, where deep learning is having a huge impact. Uh, the Wikipedia um, web, web, website forecasting challenge, deep learning won by like a mile. Um, also, uh, the M M4 competition, which is another big forecasting competition, deep learning ended up winning that. Um, and then that's that's also where this this newer algorithm called NBeats got um some some fame there but um 
Yeah. So, so deep learning is the other thing that I started to integrate into model time. And so you have a whole, so there are, in addition to time decay for pre-processing and model time, the main library for applying machine learning on time series data, on top of that, there are four additional packages in the model time ecosystem. Yep. And so the one that I think you're going to want to talk about right now is Gluon, which uses deep learning, right? And so I'm really interested to hear about this. So in these time series competitions, what kinds of deep learning models are they using, like recurrent neural networks? Yes, yeah. So basically what they're doing are using um, variants of LSTMs, uh, which is a recurrent neural network. And mm -hmm. what is what they're doing is, um, well, in the time series competitions, they're kind of building them from scratch. But there's a there's a small there's a little company uh, called AWS or uh, Amazon, uh, <laughs> and they they decided to um, take kind of like these uh, data these these deep learning algorithms that normally take a lot of code to put together, um, and they started making kind of variations. So they they have this um, system. Have you ever heard of MXNet? Um, sure, of oh, course. Okay, so MXNet's like one of the big three, um, we'll call them deep learning frameworks, but it, but really. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's a, well. It's low I guess level. It, it, yeah, and it would depend. And then if you're saying that, then you're considering Keras not to be a separate library. Right, TensorFlow is the other one. And then TensorFlow, the Keras, and PyTorch. PyTorch. Are head and shoulders in terms of popularity. So mm -hmm. I do a talk uh, maybe once a quarter at a conference on okay. iTorch versus TensorFlow, which should you be using? Mm -hmm. And I do it. So every time I do that, I go and I look at um, Google search popularity for the big libraries, and it's crazy. TensorFlow, Keras, and PyTorch are like head and shoulders above um, MXNet. And then I guess like CNTK mm -hmm. would be something I throw in there as well. Yes. Um, yeah, MXNet really doesn't get a whole lot of... Um you know, usage. Uh, but I will say this, the Gluon TS is something that they've developed, which, um, is, you know, PyTorch and, and some of these other, uh, and TensorFlow haven't really developed anything specific to time cool. series. Nice. So, um, I found out about Gluon TS and what, Glu what Gluon TS does is it integrates, um, NBeats, which is one of the bigger algorithms that, are, that has shown some promise with forecasting competitions. And they have a deep AR, which is surprisingly good. Um, all I right, all right. So first, spell the uh, what's the the deep? So I had never heard. Okay, yeah. Uh, so N beats is N beats. Okay, right, yeah. so the letter N. Uh, so yeah. N like neural, <laughs> um, and then beats. And I, I'll be honest, I don't remember what each of the letters stands for. Yeah. I'm sure it's something, but it's it's, it's N, like N beats. It. Yeah, it's like an ensemble of deep learning uh, LSTMs, and they've got some kind of nice, you know, special concoction that they've uh, that they've implemented, and they've termed it NBeats. Um, and then there's Deep AR. That's the other algorithm that Model Time Gluon TS. So I, I have those two big ones. There's there's more algorithms in the Gluon TS package, but um, those are are probably the the two most popular. Uh, the in terms of results, um, so I have several consultants that are in my courses. Uh, I have a community where and I actually have started um, getting pretty close with some of my students. Uh, the the ones that show promise, I've you know kind of groom starting to groom some of them for software development. Um, but 
the consultants that are in there that are using deep AR for these heavy duty time series um, projects. And when I say heavy duty, I mean like 10,000 plus time series. They have, they have to use, you know, like Azure and they, you know, they've got like cloud resources and compute and GPUs that they can put behind them. They're using my model time software and the linkages to Gluon TS and they're having really good results there. They're having nice. really good results with XG boost. I mean, it depends on the time series, but like, you know, they're, they're having some pretty good successes with some of these strategies. And they're the same strategies that are that are winning the, the the Kaggle competitions. So that is super cool. Can I take a quick second to try to summarize what you've been saying here, just to make sure I'm getting it right, which yeah. will probably help the listener too. Absolutely. So N beats and deep AR, these are two approaches to building time series neural network models as a part of the Amazon Web Services, AWS, Gluon TS, Gluon TS package. Yes. Okay, you're not, uh, I'm getting head nods, so I'm so far I'm on track. And also, so included within these deep learning time series approaches, we're typically using a variant of recurrent neural networks called LSTM. So we've said LSTMs a few times, but I just want to uh, spell out, spell out is the opposite of what I want to say. I want to read out what LSTM stands for, which is long short-term memory units. I don't know, the U doesn't get a, a letter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but LSTMs, they are a, um, yeah, a specialized kind of recurrent neural network that allows these neural networks to take information from um, many time steps back um, in a, a relatively efficient way. And so... I don't know. I just wanted to read all that back to, you know, in case uh, a listener is listening uh, who isn't aware of, of RNNs and LSTMs. Um, and cool. I'm also glad that I understood all of the linkages there that you've been talking about. Yeah. yeah. The, the cool thing about um, LSTMs is they're, they're basically, um, I read somewhere that they're, they're like an ARIMA on steroids, right? So an ARIMA kind of uses lags as your, your features. LSTMs do something similar where they're kind of just taking a look backwards in time and using that sequence to kind of decide how to how to, how that path should look in the into the future so they're just mm -hmm. just just kind of like a sequence um algorithm but they do a really good job on time series they also do a um, pretty good job at uh predicting future text i know they're, yeah they're which using, is a time series yeah which yeah. we have we have we don't call natural language processing time series analysis but hugely similar whether we're talking about the sound of a voice or words on a page, they occur in a sequence. And so, yeah, so RNNs are often very popular in that space as well. Like so. Yep. Okay, awesome. So you're, um, so we've got time TK for pre-processing data, model time for uh, quickly trying out machine learning models, applying machine learning models to the time series data. The MT Gluon package that you made specifically allows us to apply deep learning models, including these super powerful, um, Gluon TS provided approaches like NBeats and DBAR. I'd love to talk about your MT Ensemble package next, because I know that ensembles are another great modeling technique for getting top results. So do you want to tell us uh, quickly what an ensemble is and what the MT Ensemble package allows us to do? Sure. So, so model time ensemble, um, ba basically what we're trying to do is figure out a way to combine different forecasts. So... Um, in terms of results, uh, 
Ensembling was used in the most recent M5 competition, which analyzed Walmart store sales. Uh, it was a hierarchical data set. What that means is that there's, you know, a store has many products. Um, they fall into different departments. They fall in, you know, each each store has multiple departments. So there's the different dependencies. Um, the the thing is that that competition showcased was one. You don't just pick, you know, like one algorithm and kind of run it. Um, or if you do pick one one algorithm, you got to try it with different kind of in different situations, different features, and whatnot. Um, and then you average the results or you combine the results somehow. That's what model time ensemble does. Um, it's nothing more in its simplest form. You know, there's a, uh, one function called, uh, I believe it's, um, ensemble average. All it does is it just takes, you know, if you've got five different, uh, models, it just takes those five models and their predictions and just averages them for you. But what, what's cool about it is it handles all of that back. The, the stuff, you know, the averaging process, managing the models, it handles all that stuff beautifully for you. So you don't have to worry about thinking about like, oh, am I, am I you know, putting this into a tibble now? Am I going to, you know, do I have to write some code to summarize it? No, it just, it takes care of it for you. And out cool. pops a nice, pretty plot. Um, the, uh, yeah, so, so that's, that's basically model time ensemble in a nutshell. And then you also have, so to round out the last, so we've gone over four of your six um, model time ecosystem uh, packages. The remaining two are um, MTH2O, which integrates AutoML, another great way to get top performing results. Tell us a little bit about AutoML and how you implement it. Sure. Okay. So, so H2O is this company out there that has this amazing algorithm called AutoML. And there's a lot of different what it does is automated machine learning. And there's a lot of automated machine learning packages you might've heard of like teapot is one of them. Um, there's, you know, there's even, um, I think like, uh, Google came out with its own auto ML and that's, but that's more for like deep learning type of, of projects. What H2O does is they work is it works really well on tabular data, meaning like spreadsheet style, you know, you've got, um, kind of like normal business data. Most, most of them come out, come out of like a SQL database. So you're going to be in like a, a, a 2D structure. Um, that's essentially how we forecast in model time. So what's cool is since they've already taken care of the automated part, all we have to do is integrate it as a backend. So it's actually pretty simple. Um, we just take their algorithm and we add it as a new engine, so to speak. And, um, and we fit it into our framework. So once that happens, you can forecast with it. So you can actually forecast with automated machine learning. Um, to give you a little bit of background about the nuts and bolts behind H2O's AutoML, um, what they do is they implement XGBoost, Random Forest. Um, they implement uh, ElasticNet, which is a, the GLM, um, and then Deep Learning as well. Now, the, the thing is, is that H2O is designed for high performance it's 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 actually written in java code which is very fast um and that's the nice thing about it is that it's super scalable so when we're talking about like 10,000 plus different time series and you know millions and millions and millions of rows um it's going to be able to handle it and it's and it can be run in the cloud uh it doesn't need to be run on your computer 
uh, you just change your cluster and and you tell it to you point it to like your you know H2O cluster that's running in the cloud. Um, so so that's really the massive benefit that you get there is you know productivity wise it's automated, just great. You just run it overnight or you run it for you know thirty minutes or whatever. Um, it comes comes up with some good models uh, and then it also does some sort of automated stacking too, which is an ensemble approach. Uh, and it just it gives us another back end that we can integrate into the model time system. Beautiful. And so that leads us to the sixth and final package in the model time ecosystem, which is MT model time resample. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I've been saying MT is short it, forms, but it's, it, yeah, <laughs> no, 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 it's, it's fine. Uh, yeah. Mo- model time resample is, um, is designed for kind of like your back testing. So you basically, what you want to do in, in machine learning, not necessarily time series, we don't normally implement this resampling um, process, but with machine learning models, you know, you're always doing like cross-validation, right? You're always trying to say, okay, hey, my, uh, my you know, I've, I've done my five-fold cross-validation on average, my, you know, uh, RMSE is X, Y, or Z, you know, some, some number. And that's what this kind of does now is takes your time series and splits it up and, uh, and, and you don't lose track of that sequence, but it help, helps us kind of resample it and just kind of put it through a workflow where you're doing that same, it's not called five fold. It's actually a, a different technique um, because you have to keep the, the samples all together, but um, it does what's called time series cross validation. And the goal is to understand, you know, how much, how stable your models are, you know, do they stand the test of time when you take different sections and, and, uh, and, and predict like the next, you know, 12 observations or, or, you know, 24 or whatever it is. So helps manage some of that stuff. Um, but at the end of the day, it's about trying to give the tools. So not just the machine learning and the cool algorithms, but also give the tools to be able to, Make sure that your predictions are robust, that you're going to get good results, and you can be confident in those forecasts that you're making. Yeah, which is hugely important, obviously of utmost importance if you were building like a financial prediction. But in any kinds of time series predictions, you're going to want to make sure that you're uh, not overtrained to the training data that you have, uh, overfit to the training data that you have, that your model is likely to perform well on data it hasn't seen before, like data in the future. Right. Amazing. Thank you so much, Matt, for this tour of the model time ecosystem, as well as some backstory behind the evolution of it. This is a hugely useful set of R packages, and I hope to be able to get my hands on it to tackle a time series problem soon myself. Uh, One last question before I let you go. Do you have a book recommendation for us? Yes. So um, the the book that I would recommend, honestly, uh, one of the more influential books that I've read is uh, the Steve Steve Jobs uh, biography, and I think it's just cool. Um, I'm I'm I've always been interested in entrepreneurship, and I've built my own data science business. Um, I'm also looking at other businesses to build as well. And anybody who's just interested or fascinated in technology, just understanding, you know, how Steve kind of grew with Apple, even the the pre-Apple days, you know, understanding more about him. Um, I view him as kind of like one of these entrepreneurs that like is, is a once in a lifetime entrepreneur. So it was a, it was a pretty impactful book for me. Um, 
So, so that's that's my recommendation. Steve Steve Jobs uh, biography. That's a great one. And if people want to stay in touch with you, if they want to follow you to learn about the latest in time series libraries, time series models, maybe even some R shiny, what's going on with Hadley Wickham? How can they follow you uh, and keep track of what you're doing? So I, I'd recommend uh, LinkedIn. Um, just reach out to me there. Uh, you can follow me on LinkedIn. Um, it's just Matt Dancho. Um, also, I'm, I'm pretty active on Twitter, too. So if you like uh, just kind of st- staying in touch with uh, getting the latest R tips, you know, I, that's my big thing. I'm always, you know, tweeting about what I'm learning. Uh, you know, you'll, you'll get that. Uh, my, my Twitter handle is at M M my initial, my last name, Dancho, and then 84. Um, and yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, the, the time series course is also another way. If you really want to learn time series, you know, definitely, uh, I would, I would recommend checking out my high performance time series course. Uh, it's gotten rave reviews and, uh, it's also been my, my fastest growing course just in, you know, the, the, the short span that it's been out. So beautiful. Uh, I can't imagine how valuable that would be to check out. All right. Thank you so much, Matt. It's been a pleasure to have you on. I hope we will have you on the Super Data Science program again very soon. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure. And thanks for having me, John. I I hope to be back sometime. And uh, until then, have a great day and and, uh, keep on doing what you're doing. (laughs) Nice. Thanks, Matt. Catch you in a bit. Holy smokes, did I ever enjoy that conversation with Matt, and boy did I ever learn a lot about modern approaches to time series analysis. Wish I'd known everything we discussed today back when I was a trader at a hedge fund. In today's episode, we covered R-Shiny for quickly creating web apps involving data presentation, the Time TK package for pre-processing data for time series analysis, the model time package for quickly trying out machine learning models on your time series data, and the other packages in Matt's model time ecosystem for cutting edge approaches like long short-term memory units with AWS Gluon, ensembles of models, H2O.AI's AutoML, and backtesting models via resampling. As always, you can get all the show notes, including the transcript for this episode, the video recording, any materials mentioned on the show, and the URLs for Matt's LinkedIn profile and Twitter profile at superdatascience.com slash 463. That's superdatascience.com slash 463. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd of course greatly appreciate it if you left a review on your favorite podcasting app or on YouTube, where we have a high fidelity smiley face filled video version of this episode. I also encourage you to follow or tag me in a post on LinkedIn or Twitter, where my Twitter handle is at John Crone Learns. To let me know your thoughts on this episode, I'd love to respond to your comments or questions in public and get a conversation going. You're also welcome to add me on LinkedIn, but it might be a good idea to mention you were listening to the Super Data Science Podcast so that I know you're not a random salesperson. A reminder that starting with episode 465 next week, we will begin releasing guest episodes on Tuesday mornings, New York time. Historically, we've released Wednesday evenings, but by releasing 36 hours earlier, We'll be giving you two more morning commutes in your week to enjoy the episode. I can't think of any downsides to this change, but I didn't want you to be caught off guard. All right. Thanks to Ivana, Ima, Mario, and JP on the Super Data Science team for managing and producing another incredible episode today. 
Keep on rocking it out there, folks. And I'm looking forward to enjoying another round of the Super Data Science Podcast with you very soon.